talk about revolution That's going a little bit too far So love me, love me, love me I'm a liberal Hello, and welcome back to another episode of More Like the Worst Wing Our show where here now in 2021 We take a look back at the seminal work, The West Wing From a modern socialist leftist perspective I am Dave And I am Stu. And in this episode, because we view season five as such a drop in quality, and it really is, we decided to kind of speed through it by doing two episodes in one. Uh, And I think we might continue on this pace uh, until at least we get to something more interesting like The Supremes. Uh, if there's another interesting season five episode, we, we might do one, that one on its own as well. But uh, for going forward, I think we'll do two parters to kind of fast forward through this awful season. <laughs> yeah. And as I was watching these two, it, it's quite clear. A, we'll, we'll just cover this out the gate. There are some weird like technical problems that continue to persist mm-hmm. here. And I, I marked it out in all my notes as I was taking them. There's weird audio issues at there's a scene so the two episodes we're going to cover today are abu el banat and the stormy present so in the first one there's a scene where they walk out to the christmas tree lighting with a like a secret service escort and for some god-awful reason they like everything else is silent there's like an underscore with a music track but Mm -hmm. it's like five full seconds of the secret service guy mumbling code words into his His like throat mic yeah. yeah. And it it's almost unintelligible and it's yeah. incredibly clumsy. It's just like why? It's why? so bizarre. There's so many choices being made that make you go why? <laughs> yeah. So and earlier in the episode again I'm just going to run through the things that I noticed. They have started to do a lot of audio signaling via the soundtrack to yeah, a lot more. I'm, like I'm guessing to heighten the stakes is what they're looking to do. But it's completely off-putting because you'll get that early kind of like basso profundo simmer from mm-hmm. a lead-in to an eventual tense score moment. Mm-hmm. But at any given time, it's like, oh, the kid's running to hug his grandpa. But there's this like, right. there's super this, like, dramatic fucking music yeah. <laughs> underscoring it like it's sinister. Like, for sinister. Some exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like that Bartlett's secretly like a predator or whatever. <laughs> like You start reading all these negative emotions. Yeah, it adds a whole different tone to the scene as opposed to there should be no music or like light upbeat cheery music as a family, you know, greets each other. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then they do it again in the second Not episode. Just like, there's these, dum, 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 dum. Yeah. <laughs> there's these long dialogue scenes and it's like, uh, but, and, and there's no like real climax or necessarily like threatening or sinister feel to it but there's this weird bass undertones with like dum 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 stuff going on i'm just like what am i supposed to be feeling here like you're supposed to be (laughs) augmenting the action on screen in a show Mm -hmm. like this via the soundtrack not establishing our perception of it via the soundtrack like yeah it's fundamentally contradictory and a poor perception of it nonetheless (laughs) and then there was one there's one fucking scene in the beginning of the second episode where oh my god they're they're circling up to in their ball gowns and tuxedos to get ready to go into this whatever the fuck the ball is who cares and some it is it is a dizzying like steady cam 
in a circle around this circle of people shot that is extremely difficult to watch. Like I was, yeah, I'm, I'm watching this on like a 30 inch TV and I'm just like, oh, this ah, God, I'm fucking like queasy watching this. <laughs> uh, it reminds me of that one shot from the one with Lord John Marbury. There was a similar Michael Bay style, like swoop mm. around the fancy dress people shot. Uh, except this one has more velocity, faster, more intense. And I, I was actually talking about this with Emma last week. I can't remember what exactly we were watching. Maybe it was Underground Railroad or something on Amazon. But every fucking director wants to get the ballroom dancing scene. They want to make it happen. They want to mm-hmm. shoot it. And I feel like, I mean, it was Sorkin. And now the people who are running the show here, they are they're want their so own one. desperate to yeah. do like... I want to check this off my resume where it's multiple couples dancing right. and I'm pivoting the cam I'm panning the right. camera in a wide pivot around them. It's right, like right. like a thing that they want to get in their quiver to be like, hey, check out what I did this one Look, time. And we they're did bad this complicated at it. shot that required a lot of coordination, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they're yeah. <laughs> so they clearly not up to it. Again, this is just sort of this is this works in context with the quality of the writing. Of sure. the show and the politics of the show, we're starting right. to see a lot of technical cracks. Right, and <laughs> you know, say what you will about Sorkin, the t- his technical aptitude was always very strong. You know, his message. Obviously, we've we've criticized the message over the last four seasons, but his <laughs> his conveyance of that message was always extremely technically proficient. Yes, and I think you said earlier, like if nothing else. It was coherent and self-contained. It was mm-hmm. like, yep, I got was, this thing. It was his vision executed. Yeah, yeah. You can you can you know pick apart that vision, and we did, and we loved doing <laughs> it. But but you know it was his vision executed. I think if you ask him about those four seasons, you know, like would you change some stuff? Like, yeah, I'll change some minor stuff. But overall, he's he's happy with what what he did. Yes. And, you know, it was, there was no, there was no obfuscation. I mean, he had such control that he was like, it's going to look like this because I know what I'm doing to a degree. And ta-da, it looked like that because he knew what he was doing. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's just another sign of the, of the drop in quality here in season five that won't come together for quite a while till the new showrunners really kind of figure out what's going on with the show. So let's get into what actually happens in this episode. First off, the major domestic issue is that a a dude in Oregon, who's clearly meant to be sort of like a Dr. Kevorkian-esque guy, has performed an assisted suicide on some sort of terminal patient. And the DEA? No, no, uh, yeah, oh, yeah. uh, Yeah, drug enforcement. the DEA is trying to prosecute him for violating the Controlled Substances Act uh, by with what, whatever drug he used to kill the guy, essentially. Yeah, well, and so it's the DEA via the AG, who mm-hmm. is recurring character, like the actor's name is Dylan Baker. Yes. He's in fucking everything. Yeah, um, he shows up in everything. There, yeah, there's a lot so, of those guys. I can't wait till we get to the second episode to discuss one in particular. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, who steals the um, show. And basically, like, this is this is actually a pretty, for a show like this, this should be a bread and butter type of thing because it's a basic crisis of federalism, right? You have sure. 
certain things that are allegated to the states, certain things yep. that are controlled at the national level, and blah, yep. blah, blah. I mean, And that's the Bartlett White House position on it is let the states decide. Yes, because, ooh, you know, Jed being a big Catholic personally has qualms about both abortion and assisted suicide as deeply, like fundamentally in opposition to his religious beliefs. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, for actually for listeners who don't, know who Jack Kevorkian was because I, I went to research this and I realized that like he was in the news mainly for me because I lived in Michigan when mm-hmm. it was happening, but it was 27 years ago mm-hmm. <laughs> that this was like a thing. Oh, yeah. So there are probably listeners who were not born when oh, Dr. Yeah, Kevorkian was, was assisting suicides. Yeah, it was a big 90s thing. Um, yeah, I remember it coming up a lot. Uh, like he, he basically built like a, a machine to to help somebody die and it was there was a big legal conundrum about like oh but who pushes the button and like you know is that murder and uh, all this bs yeah so that's the the fundamental domestic crisis here it's not necessarily that they're they're not litigating um a right to die like from a from a technical standpoint it's just whether they can step in and literally prosecute this guy or not. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, they kind of go back and forth on it a little bit. And the ultimate resolution is that Bartlett basically dresses down the AG and is like, hey, don't fucking pull this dumb bullshit. What the fuck do you think you're doing? The Controlled Substances Act. Like, fuck you. Kind of thing. <laughs> and, and is basically just like, look, you know, you didn't want me to force the debate, but fine. I'll, I'll force the debate. I'll go on fucking The View and talk about euthanasia or whatever. Like, but don't do not do this bullshit again. Yeah, uh, and you're, you're on thin ice. And, and like, if you do it again, I'll fire you. Well, and then, and frankly, like, which, yeah, good. Good job, yeah. dude. Yeah, yeah. well, I, I'd argue you should probably already fire him, which is something they bring up early in the episodes. Like, why don't we just fire this guy? It's like, oh, <laughs> it would look bad or whatever. Like, it would look like a political firing, which, like, sitting here in 2021, like, fucking LMAO. <laughs> oh, no, not a political firing. <laughs> at, at least Bartlett would have the balls to do it to the man's face, unlike, unlike Trump. Uh, I love that Trump, famous for the "you're fired" catchphrase, can't even bring himself to fire someone. So the 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 issue, interestingly, I think one of the one of the pros for the writing of this episode around is that in a in a somewhat subtle fashion, um, they make the assisted suicide thing personal for several characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously Bartlett via his religion, CJ's, oh, and Bartlett um, via his MS as well. Well, I, I'm, I'm getting there. Oh, sorry. Um, so CJ's CJ's thing is because her father is just is Not dying a pro- yeah. Well, he's dying a protracted death from Alzheimer's. So, of course, she has to sort of consider whether that would be a humane option for him. But then, fucking Toby, like the this was this was pretty ghoulish. And pretty weird because basically, like, yeah. yes, we understand that the president has MS, which is technically, like, it, it is a it, terminal condition. You will it, die eventually. Well, I mean, yes, everybody dies eventually. Like. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, but it's not. It's not like cancer. It's not killing him. Yes. So Toby, 
the, the, the way that Toby pitches the whole issue and whether they're right to step in on it is several leaps of logic of being like deriving these fantasies of thinking that the first lady who is a doctor is like ready to just just off her like, husband has has four morphine needles tucked away somewhere and is just ready to go. It's it's just completely it's like a tangent off a tangent com- off a tangent. It comes out and of left fucking field, yeah. Like no brain would put this sequence of events together. I get maybe receiving a question, but honestly, in my like in my analysis of it, like me a terminal disease haver, that makes my perspective on a right to die or a right to suicide thing more valuable. Yeah, fundamentally, like, yeah. because I now have that additional skin in the game. It's nothing to do with, like, oh, the continuity of government, and what if, right. like, the first lady is going to, like, try a coup, or it's because of... It's, I, yeah. What? <laughs> yeah, which is appear what Toby's BS is about. But, yeah, the, the show actually steers into it at the end with Bartlett saying, like, fine, I'll just take the debate public, and thus being able to capitalize on that advantage of, hey... I've got a big disease. Let me let's talk about it. Yes, and that in that way it's quite a deft maneuver because it allows him to air that out a little bit more and mm-hmm. put people's minds to ease on two things at once, which mm-hmm. hey, way to go, buddy. Like good yeah. maneuver. Yeah, so White House somewhat competent in this first episode. Uh, I say I say somewhat because then also the foreign policy <laughs> half of the yes. episode is dealing with a hostage situation in Sudan where some Mormon missionaries are being held hostage because they were proselytizing, which is illegal there. Um, This introduces a few guest stars. Uh, We get uh, Duck from Mad Men. (laughs) I was like, oh my god, it's Duck! (laughs) Yeah, he was also in uh, Desperate Housewives. Um, I never watched another. Neither did I, but, like, I do remember his face being in a couple scenes. And it was, like, he was in, like, 70 episodes of Desperate Housewives. So this is another working-class actor here. Like, never really the star. This is a man man who fucking works. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He plays a uh, senator who's, like, or a congressman who's in touch with these people or something. Yeah, like, they're from his district or or, um, something like that. And then there's another guy who's a hawkish military dude. Um, actor's name is Ron Canada. Ron Canada. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just kind of funny. Um, yep. And uh, yeah, they're basically going back and forth with like, uh, you know, they didn't do anything wrong, you know, oh, what are we going to do to get them out of there? I forget how it even ends up resolving. I I think they say no one dies. No, I think they just bring them home. Like they, mm-hmm. they do a thing, they reach out and back channel. Yeah, they do, they do some sort of thing and they, they resolve the situation. It's so minor that it just plays out in like two meeting room scenes kind of thing. Yes. And I mean, it's also probably appropriate because at this time in history, like, and frankly, still in history, like Sudan, thanks to hundreds of years of colonialism, barely exist as like a sovereign state. Like Mm. it's just, it's functionally just, you know, constant warlord against warlord, Mm. Sort of like puppeteering of a of a nominally national government. I'll link an Delightful. article that I read. I'll link an article that I read in the show notes because it's basically like this guy was on the ground in Sudan, especially when they you know were forming the new government in South Sudan, and 
It's basically just a fucking gigantic mess. So really, mm. they're lucky that they bothered to take these Mormon missionaries prisoner at all. Mm-hmm. Instead of just, like, dumping him into, into a pit it, as it, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, good, good point. And so, yeah, the, the that's our main domestic and then foreign policy thing. And then there's one other major subplot that takes up the episode because the uh, this this is Christmas time, you know, uh, as it's you said earlier. It's the Christmas earlier, episode. It's the Christmas <laughs> episode. Uh, so, as you said earlier, there was a tree lighting scene and... Uh, so the whole first family, the first extended family is there, including all the Bartlett daughters uh, and their husbands. Uh, or I think, I guess it's just the one that has the husband. I don't think Ellie's married at this point. Um, nope. I don't no. think so. So, yeah, Ellie's not married. Uh, so it's just the oldest one whose name I can't remember off the top of my head. But her husband, Doug, uh, Doug <laughs> shows up, which I think, have we seen Doug before? I want to say Yes. I would like to say yes as well, but it was most likely in passing because like yeah. nothing is super. This is the first uh, ti- first time we've had Doug talk for any extended length of time. If we have seen him before, uh, so we didn't. So his basically what I'm getting at is his character is sort of a blank slate going into this. We know nothing about him other than married to Bartlett's oldest daughter. Um, and so he comes in and he talks to Josh and they're just kind of catching up. And then he's like, hey, man, there's this district near where we live. And the old Congress guy is retiring because of like medical issues or something like that. I think I should run for the seat. And, you know, I, since I, you know, since I'm dating a Bartlett daughter, do you think we could get Bartlett to to help me on this? And Josh has to go into a panic because the DNC has their own plans for that seat that do not involve Doug. And in Josh's view, Doug is stupid McDoodoo dumbass, apparently. Yeah, and so we get this bizarre scene where we first learn, the audience fucking first learns about Doug by, like, CJ making a joke about Doug being dumb. Mm -hmm. Like, to Josh... Behind, like not not to his face, like behind dumb Doug's back, right? And it is, and it also is the- later, uh, Bartlett makes some sort of gag about like, oh, my daughters all go for morons or whatever like that, which <laughs> Lily Tomlin greatly replies with. They say daughters look for their fathers. Fathers, yes. <laughs> <laughs> which is the, the only laugh of these two episodes that I got. <laughs> well, and so it's it's very. It's very clumsy because we, we the audience, don't know shit about fucking Doug. Right. And, and so we them, assume, based off the characters, that, yeah, he, he must be a dumbass. And then we because meet we're him told and... It. Yeah, we meet him and he doesn't seem that dumb, really. Like, he, he wants to run for Congress. He, he, we don't hear anything about his agenda, although we do hear that the guy he's running against agenda is worse uh, yes, which sort of inherently, presumably, sets up his agenda as better, but we hear nothing about it. But then w- later in the episode, the big twist is that like he's actually super competent, and he has ties to the local community, and he has like a finance committee already, and and has gotten donations. He's got like and, a like, war it, chest. Yeah, yeah. it is like <laughs> fucking ready to go to run for Congress. This isn't like some bullshit Joshua for Congress thing. Like he's making a real run. And like Josh even gets impressed by all the sort of infrastructure he's built up. And it's like, okay, so the twist was he's not really dumb. Then like, why do this dumb thing of like setting him up as stupid? Yeah, you you waste this entire like these entire lines of dialogue and perception of the audience. I'm like, 
and it it can't be that within the bubble of this episode you want the audience to come around to that other conclusion because they didn't have any initial conclusions right like it was you're, just you're both setting dumb. it up and knocking he, it down he's gonna ask for a dumb thing and josh needs to shut him down politely without causing a family issue is is the initial plot and then you know like the to turn it into a twist of like actually he's he's perfectly competent is just it's like okay <laughs> Yeah, so you just kind of like diffuse your own like drama, your your own setup here. Right. Uh, all with, right. With yeah, you like this is not a satisfying payoff or or subversion of expectations or whatever. <laughs> well, uh, the the satisfying the satisfying payoff is the fucking the Bartlett family drama at the waspy yes. like Christmas Eve dinner thing. Yes. Holy shit. Yeah, so it, it does is... lead to a beautiful beautiful scene. Um, in the residence where they're they're having a big fancy dinner, and before even the dinner can happen, there's all sorts of you know Doug is upset because he's getting jerked around by Josh, so him and his wife like storm off to have a talk in another room, and Bartlett and Mrs. Bartlett are squabbling about something, and it's just they're like pissed big... because Ellie can't Ellie is busy and can't show up on time. Right? Yeah, and like yeah, it's just. It feels so waspy, and like I know they're Catholic, and wasp means Protestant, but if like big, big waspy energy coming from yeah, this. and and there's another line where they say where they're talking about like the quote unquote mistakes they made while they were parenting, mm-hmm. and um, Mrs. Bartlett is like, I missed three Christmas Eves because I was on call. When, you know, I don't know, when Lizzie was born. She's trying to correct Bartlett where Bartlett's like, oh, we used to have such great family times together. And she's like, no, we didn't. We were both extremely busy parents, you dumbass. Yeah. But at the same time, they're both extremely busy, very wealthy parents. And the line is, we've never been Courier and Ives. It's like, yes, yes, you have. Like, at least the last, since Jed became the governor sorry new hampshire libs like you are definitely courier and ives here and we just saw you like underhandedly owning each other at the dinner table yeah (laughs) yeah and then like (laughs) yeah it's really good i i actually like it a lot it you know exposes just how dysfunctional the the president's family is yeah, uh, they're just like us. <laughs> they're just like me. Well, then, frankly, like I saw, I could hear quite a few shades of my in-laws, at least their family dinners, because there's a lot of that get, that gets passed around, especially at, like the Seder table. Uh, yeah, I do like that. <laughs> Basically, they all storm off within five minutes and then Ellie gets there late and is like, all right, everyone's gone. <laughs> Cool. I was I was busy doing real things like, you know, running an experiment because I want to be a scientist. Right. Yeah, yeah, she's doing a uh, viral load experiment. <laughs> <laughs> both, both the sex joke and the COVID joke. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we got a twofer. Uh, but yeah, that mostly sums up the first episode. Any final thoughts before we take a quick break and dive into the second one? Nope, I think like the first episode, basically, we're, we're also in terms of just to bring it right around back to the quality of the writing thing. They're throwing so many things at the wall in any given episode that it's almost it's a little baffling. They go very broad, but not very deep 
on any of these things. Yeah, it's, you know, as as wide as an ocean, but as deep as a puddle kind of yep. mentality. Pretty they, much. Yeah, they don't deep deep dive on anything. Okay, so yeah, that wraps up Abu al Banat, which means father of daughters in a, a cute little anecdote that Bartlett tells. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back and discuss the stormy present. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back. So, Stormy Present, um, I'm going to make a disclaimer here out the gate that my wife was like, I hate this episode so much that I will not watch it. <laughs> I was like, wow, okay. Good I mean, call, she's the Emma. West Wing fan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, there are two. Again, there is one domestic prevailing issue this episode, and there is mm-hmm. one foreign affairs mm-hmm. issue the and, domestic and one cute little cameo we'll get to later that i love yes <laughs> the the domestic issue is that bum 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 a former president has died oh no oh um, what are we gonna do what i find interesting about this is before we even get into any of this is remember just like a couple few episodes ago with the tornado episode the tornado disaster where bartlett decided to stay there for, like, an extra 24 hours, and it fucking blew up the schedule some crazy amount. Well, lo and behold, (laughs) here's an event that happens that blows up his schedule a crazy amount, and no one gives a fuck about it. (laughs) Because this sort of shit happens all the time. All the time. And no matter where he is, the president is always working. So, like, he's always available. Yes. Yeah. I mean, what? that's why you have contingencies, and why you have... A legion of staff and right. underlings right. that you can mobilize and, whenever you want. And cell phones and, and all this sort of stuff. Like, he's always available. So, like, I don't understand why we had to throw a big fit about that. But anyway, that's a complaint really about another episode. But yeah, the schedule is now thrown off because now we have to deal with the fact that uh, fictional president John Lasseter is dead. Or is his first name John? I'm thinking of the actual guy named John Lasseter. Fictional president um. Lasseter. Fictional President Lasseter. Yeah, we'll go with that. Yeah. Uh, And Lasseter is clearly meant to be the West Wing's version of Reagan, um, where he's clearly a Republican, hardcore conservative, who came in before before the previous guy, played by James Cromwell, who fucking rules. Mm -hmm. Fucking awesome. Uh, who is like the who is meant to be, I guess, the Bill Clinton to, I guess, if Bartlett is the Al Gore who never won, then uh, then uh, we basically we gloss over, and I sorry. can't remember the show's like all history. Keeping track here. of all these fictional names. Here. Yeah. Okay. So if Bartlett is supposed to be like the Al Gore who never won, then James Cromwell is the fictional Bill Clinton who came before him. And Lasseter would be the fictional Reagan who came before Bill Clinton. Uh, you know, yes. the combination of Reagan slash H.W. who came before Bill Clinton. 
Yeah. So Cromwell's character, the president's name is Newman. Okay. Newman. <laughs> New, Newman. Newman. <laughs> so, and um, they basically, like, because we've actually, we've technically heard Lassiter's name before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that they, they've mentioned him in past episodes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and stuff, so it's it's understandable. It's also on the um, on the timeline that real Reagan died because I think real Reagan, yeah, well, kicked no, it in b- better than that. This show predicted Reagan's death by oh. a, by a good six months. <laughs> Predictive programming. Boo, 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 boo. <laughs> <laughs> they fired up the heart attack gun at the behest of the West Wing. <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh, yeah, well, we, we already wrote it, so the people will be primed for it, so we can make it happen now. <laughs> That's right, we're manufacturing consent yeah. Thursday nights at 9 o'clock. <laughs> Prime time, baby. <laughs> uh, yeah, so they, they have to go off and attend his funeral. We get a reappearance of Walken played by John Goodman. I'm glad that they yes. got they got him back for this uh, because he is technically a former president <laughs> for all of like three days. Uh, I, I do want to know if they end up building the walk-in presidential library or not, but uh, sadly I don't think the show will ever answer that question. Um, but yeah, they all decide to go to, you know, they have to go to his funeral. And while they're it, so in the intro of the show, we see, although we don't know it at the time, Lassiter writing a letter to Bartlett uh, and then tucking it into the drawer of his weird replica of the Oval uh, Office that he built yes. for himself. <laughs> so, yeah, Which, here, here's what I love. Move. He's, he's not just meant to be like Reagan. He's also got some elements of like Trump's insanity in him where like after his presidency, he started doing shit like touring battlefields and jarring up some of the dirt from them and then bringing it back yes. to his Oval Office so he could like contemplate it. <laughs> Of like, oh, the blood spilled on this dirt back in the Civil War. It's like it's just uh, crazy Howard Hughes type shit. Like, which which rules? Like, which we, rules? We need more former presidents to be that. I don't want you. I don't want you out there with your old ass building houses for poor people. I want you touring the country and doing stupid memento mori bullshit. Doing just insane <laughs> shit. And yeah. <laughs> God, wouldn't that rule? Like, this is the kind of shit I expect Trump to get up to in his post-presidency after, after he's term-limited, after he wins in 2024, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Like, 2029 Trump, if he's still alive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Inshallah. <laughs> um, so, the, the qual- you know, most of this episode is dealing with that, and so the, this letter which warns about fundamental Islamic terrorism... He uh, said the words. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he said the secret <laughs> phrase. Um, and it's really, to me, this whole episode is really about how much we fucking turn our opinions instantly on someone the second they fucking die. And it's like, if you had asked Jed Bartlett before Lasseter died, like, hey, do you want to hear Lasseter's thoughts on whatever is going on right now? He would have been like, fuck no, fuck that conservative <laughs> shithead. But now, because he's dead, he has to be all nice to his widow and be like, oh, I, I should have taken his calls, and oh, I'm gonna read this letter he wrote with, you know, and really absorb it and really think on it, and, and oh, he was such a good man. It's like, no, he wasn't. He's just yeah, dead like now. You, can, you what? What do you lose, especially now that he's dead? Like, what? What could you? What possibly goes wrong if you're just honest about a motherfucker? Like, I, 
you've already been voted in. Like, this is your second term. Mm-hmm. What are you losing by by being honest? Like, oh, no, the my, my opinion polls of people who already hate me yeah. might get worse. Yeah, well, it just comes down to, like, th- this just happens all over society. Anytime some asshole dies, it's always like, oh... Well, but he was a good man, really. It's like, no, fuck that guy. I'm glad he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he deserved to die, and I hope he burns in hell. Yeah, we, like, we never get that reaction when when assholes die. I mean, we do on, like, Twitter and stuff like that, but if you're there in person at the funeral, there's not enough spitting on corpses, is basically what I'm saying. <laughs> well, that's, again... Again, we, we need to bring back the Domnatio Memoriae, not the Memento Mori. <laughs> so, um, I mean, and it's it's basically an excuse to get all these personalities together to mm-hmm. weigh in on the foreign affairs right, which, issue so the, that comes up in this episode. The fundamental Islamic terrorism thing has, has a tie-in to uh, Holy what, is, shit. what is going on at good old Saudi Arabia. Oh, my God. So, so first of all, there one, are, one there good are, point. There are protests and riots happening in Saudi Arabia. That That's our jumping off point. And we hear about this because the only good thing about this is it's an excuse to bring Terry O'Quinn back mm-hmm. on screen. So we get to see him in his role as the chairman of the Joint Chiefs advising this. We also get to see, like, hawkish sex state, hawkish sex death, like screaming in the situation room <laughs> about, about this stuff. How we need to so, just start bombing right now. And so they they turn it, and I've got a couple clips about this. So like the first thing here I'm going to put in is about their perception of like the right to protest. Leo, free speech is good. Free for all for a quarter of the world's oil reserves laced with rabid anti-American sentiment and and so basically they're saying, literally the words, free speech is good, free for all is bad. Uh, you, The fucking, they sound like a goddamn Hillary Clinton tweet. It's like, I may not be, you know, in support of these protests, but I will protest their ability to happen. It's like, fuck you. And the other thing that they qualify what's happening in, again, a different country as is as fundamentally like there is there must be an undercurrent of anti-american sentiment so Mm -hmm. this is what they say general the number in the streets seems now to be several thousand primarily students and young clerics mr president and they seem to be using anti-american rhetoric yet demanding democratic reforms and (laughs) it is like they're demanding democratic reforms but also using anti-American rhetoric, and the way the show says it, it's like the pro- the the anti-American you can't, rhetoric. You can't do both. Yeah, it's it's like the 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 reforms, like being Sorry, American uh, is the Amer- ultimate. America order. owns democracy. You can't you can't yes you can't claim to want democratic reforms and then also hate America because we are democracy. Yes, well, I mean, did haven't these haven't these backwards people heard that like we define this con like this god this fucking nebulous government concept yeah like of, of, of voting for your leaders like it's and if if this was i think if this was taking place in the context of like a persuasive debate or if there was like if this was like think tanking about it 
I could sort of almost see, like, you know, the, the right-wing shitheads taking up the mantle of this argument. Sure. But it's in a nominally democratic <laughs> administration. Yeah. Like, just, what the, what the fuck? You... You literally sound... This is some fucking Turner Diaries shit. Like, it is insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just... Yeah. They have... Uh, Toby, in particular, in this episode, uh, gets to be Islamophobic as shit, where he's just like, oh, you know, we they need strong guidance from us, and, and that, you know, basically he's saying, like, we need to go in there and rig their elections for them to make sure we keep the right puppet leader in power. Well, and... So, yes, and then... To his great credit, the James President Newman characters owns the shit out of Toby. He just yeah. said, yes, oh, great. Yeah, go ask the British. They did such a great job <laughs> yeah. managing the Middle yeah. East. Yeah, go, yeah. You want to go replicate that strategy? Good job. <laughs> yeah. yeah, way to go. And so it also is just, and this is sort of like the meta for me. I don't necessarily know enough about the history of Saudi Arabia, USA relations, but currently they are. Uh, frankly, our biggest ally Middle, yeah. in in the fucking region. And also, they are already a fundamentalist monarchy. Mm-hmm. Let's be clear. Like mm-hmm. they are they're hand wringing over the fact that allowing elections in Saudi Arabia could open the door to a fundamentalist coup. What the fuck do you think the Kingdom of Saud is? You don't yeah. get much more fundamental than Wahhabism. Like it is, it is the the almost, and I mean obviously fundamentalist is a shitty, broad, scary ghost term that you can mm-hmm. really apply to anything you want. But like, ha, they they're already in power. Mm-hmm. That that's who you've got. Right. That's who you work. And frankly, who is your best friend right now? Like you are in bed with these motherfuckers. Right. Which is the real concern of all of this is not that like, oh, you know, they're all like, oh, but what if, you know, we give them elections and then they elect someone bad? It's like, no, it's not really bad. It's what if they elect someone who doesn't listen to us? Yes. And that's, it's, that's they, the they almost make concern. it explicit with like the strong guidance thing. It's like, oh, we're going to strongly guide them to do whatever we want them right. to do. To keep the oil flowing cool. in essence. And just like there's a scene where this the the weird hawkish sec- secretary of defense and the weird hawkish secretary of, De- of state are debating like courses of action and making this analysis. It's just so fucking bizarre and like contrafactual in a way that I mean, I guess it's subtly contrafactual, but just like completely ignorant of how anything works. And the meta for me is I think that for naming a real country for things to be happening in, Mm -hmm. Saudi Arabia is the one that the writers could get away with because we've spoken in the past. CJ called them out er in in an early episode, yeah. And and also in the past when bad things happen in nebulous fake African countries, we think it's because there's enough pressure on the show to be like, no, you can't say that, I don't know, Niger... Right. Is doing these bad things because there will be a backlash. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, which is why they created, you know, Equatorial Kundu and, and exactly, Kumar yeah. and, and all, the, all these fucking fake nations that they can uh, fucking saber rattle at without provoking an actual response in the real world. Yeah. 
Well, and they bring in a member of the royal family, like they bring in a prince and blah, mm-hmm. blah, and he says yeah. some garbage about manageable change. And right, blah, blah. and like, oh, all these things have to happen. He's basically the white moderate from MLK's letter from a Birmingham <laughs> yeah. jail, where he's asking for to for everyone to wait for a more convenient season for justice, basically. <sighs> so, in the uh, course of this... Yeah, so that's the foreign policy thing. Let's talk, switch gears. Let's go to the couple of domestic things we got going on. Uh, we have this minor legal squabble about a copy of the Bill of Rights uh, bet- and going on between Connecticut and North Carolina, uh, where North Carolina lost it or something like that, or and Connecticut found it, and now North Carolina wants it back, something along those so lines. So believe, I believe it was pillaged from North Carolina by a Connecticut regiment uh, in the during Civil War. the Civil War. Got it. Which is which is what ties Civil War into it, which is where the episode decides to get truly stupid. <laughs> so, and again, for... I mean, uh, b- I, before we get to not- that, I, I do like the running gag they have of uh, everyone discovering that Josh is from Connecticut. And then it be like it's it's just it's set up a couple times as a running gag early in the episode, and then it becomes a pivotal point when the North Carolina and the Connecticut representatives are sparring hard at each other, and then Josh reveals he's from Connecticut, and the North Carolina representative gets super fucking pissed because she thinks he's biased now. <laughs> I and uh, just again as a little bit of a throwback. I mean, this is much more recent, so it's not that super crazy, but there was a. A specific time, and I think it was around the time that this was going on, where there was like a Confederate flag that was captured, I think by Minnesota or a Minnesotan regiment that some southern state, and I can't remember specifically which one, was beefing with the government of the state to huh. repatriate, if you will. So this is based on a this is based on a real thing. This sort of thing does happen. So yeah, fair enough. Uh, I just always love that the, his comeback anytime someone goes, "You're from Connecticut," is "Go Whalers," uh, who are <laughs> who are gone now. Uh, in fact, we're gone at the time of this episode because at one point CJ makes the clever crack of, "Didn't North Carolina steal the Whalers too?" They did. They're yeah. now the Carolina Hurricanes. <laughs> That's right. God bless. <laughs> Which, but then that leads into the Civil War discourse. <laughs> oh my god. So, there is, the fight occurs between Josh and putative, brilliant political mind who is hired to theoretically replace some of Josh's duties mm-hmm. over the nature of the Civil War. Right, who is supposed to be as capable as Josh, you know. That's that's what we've been told about her character. She's a strong political mind, you know, who who understands the issues. So let's hear what her and Josh have to say about the Civil War. Where are you from? Asheville. North Carolina? We said no rights amendments, no ball game. We refused to ratify the Constitution without it. Oh, for such champions of the bill, you certainly placed a lot of importance on those rights in the 1800s, especially the parts about life, liberty, property. You're going to lecture me on equal rights? How does a state that fought for slavery have the gall to claim ownership in a document First, that- Josh. The war wasn't just about slavery, it was about industry. Second, that's exactly why North Carolina needs an original copy on display in Raleigh, to remind them. And third, Connecticut has the highest per capita income in the country. They want the damn piece of paper so badly, why don't they just offer to compensate North Carolina? Holy shit. Jesus Christ. What industry, lady? (laughs) So first first of all, 
bring in the black lady to talk about the civil about yeah, the confederacy yeah, like, yeah like sure. it, it's yep. it's the old political cartoons thing about what anytime a, a speech bubble's put into a black woman's mouth by a conservative political cartoonist <laughs> i said x a black woman a white man a white man <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Written, I, written by a white man this black woman says that the civil war wasn't about slavery slavery and just it is this was also a very like 2000 uh-huh. thing mentality of the, oh. the discourse about the civil war not being about slavery and like this was the wedge to get in and get away from talking about racism in this regard right oh like, it's just it's just about industry yeah what, what kind of industry like cotton <laughs> like that industry yeah. you want you want um, to talk about the cotton industry and how how it was run down in the south yeah, what kind of what kind of margins were you running on that? Would you say that like your your employees, um, what what were your expenses for wages? <laughs> yeah, what were, what were your labor costs? Yeah, <laughs> uh, like yeah, I, about industry. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah, fuck off. And it's again, it's it's a very two thousand. And this is to be fair. Now, her like, initial point is great, which is like Josh is lecturing her about like North Carolina seceding from the union because it turns out Angela's from North Carolina. And he's like giving mm-hmm. her crap about like you're you're a fucking slave owning state. She's like I'm a black woman. You're gonna lecture me about that? Like that point is fine and valid, and she should have stopped while she was ahead. <laughs> it's just it's so. I mean, and we'll we'll say this a lot, but it's just so both sidesy. It's infuriating. It's, it's like so, it's you, so stupid. You do not have to hand it to him. No, in no way. Like no. just just tell them to fuck off. Like. I'm, I don't know if I'm going to make the, the clip work here, but, like, just the Simpsons did it. The Simpsons <laughs> did it. They had Apu just say, slavery it is. And <laughs> turns out he was always correct. Yep. Economic factors, both domestic and international, played a significant... Hey, hey. Yeah. Just, just say slavery. Slavery it is, sir. Yep. It's, you know, it's the thing about, like, you know, when you're a child, you're taught it's about slavery. Then in high school, you're taught it's about industry or states' rights or whatever. And then as an adult, you realize, oh, no, it's actually all about slavery. (laughs) Exactly. So I don't really remember what happens um, with the funeral. Oh, yeah. Whatever. Normal funeral BS stuff. And then he comes and he reads the letter and all that. I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about the greatest cameo. Uh, in West Wing history by uh, Stephen Tobolowski, uh, a.k.a. Ned, Ned Ryerson Ned. <laughs> from Groundhog Day, yep. uh, or also uh, Stanley Ipkiss from Memento. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, in a million things, another extremely working class actor who gets around. Uh, but he, so there's a subplot kicks off in the beginning of the episode when some guy from Backslash Magazine, which I think is supposed to be a play on Slashdot, dot org i think i want to say uh but basically a guy from an internet magazine is like asks cj a question about mind control programs run by the cia and cj extremely ignorantly just goes like there's no such thing and like get out (laughs) get out of here conspiracy man and uh and then afterwards tells toby like haha this idiot asked me about like mind control cia programs and toby's like oh you mean mk ultra (laughs) And then CJ has to be like, wait, what now? It's, and I don't even know why they bring it up 
in this episode. Literally just to set up the 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 cameo and the great scene, I feel like. Like yeah. it's literally it's yeah. literally just done to do that. So this sends CJ down a path of like wait, what now? Like when Toby tells her about MK Ultra and she goes, she spends the rest of the day because she has a pretty light day, what with the funeral thing going on, uh, looking up at like CIA MK Ultra programs and stuff like op- uh, Operation Midnight, uh, whatever, the brothel one where they were lacing Johns with LSD that they lured mm-hmm. back to this apartment in San Francisco. And um, so she, she reads up about all this shit and is like, holy fuck. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> uh, a man a man from DARPA is is now in her office without her yeah. having asked anything about it. And this is where Stephen Tobolowsky comes in. He's wearing, like, a tie-dye shirt and shorts. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> he, he fucking rules. It just, I, like, I would love to clip, like, the whole scene, honestly. But it's, it's just incredible where, you know, she goes off on him with, like, oh, my God, like, all this fucking awful mind control shit the CIA did? You guys are fucking crazy. And he's like, no, 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 whoa, hey. That's ARPA, not DARPA. I'm with DARPA. <laughs> we're, we're good now. <laughs> Which is funny on its own. But then, yeah, he gets into this whole thing about, like, how their new thing is observing people's walking and, and determining things from their gait. Like, you know, criminality and, and psychology and stuff like that. And, and just CJ gets so weirded out and then she walks away, but then alters her walk midway through so that he can't figure out anything about her from analyzing her gait. <laughs> And uh, to be fair, like gate, gate analysis is a real thing. So yeah. like yeah. they they, press, like, they presaged this a bit. Yeah, they they really did. They, they it's all played for comedy, but like uh, you know, honestly the the long and short of it is like, yeah, the government has always been and will always continue to do incredibly shady illegal shit constantly. His character's name is also Dr. Max Milkman, which the is milkman. Just an amazing name. The Milkman conspiracy. <laughs> Yeah, so that that was that was a fun one. At least we yeah. got a little bit of levity. Like, yeah. Um, uh, so, a c- correction from earlier. This also got a laugh out of me. Uh, I said Lily Tomlin's joke was the only <laughs> laugh I got. This this was pretty good. Uh, Stephen Tobolowsky just like he he sells it a hundred percent and uh, like. Uh, just go watch the scene. If you're not gonna watch this episode, just go like two thirds of the way through. Watch this scene. It's really good. All right, let's take another quick break and we can wrap up because I think we're uh, pretty much taken care of. Okay. Just like the Bushes, Clinton and Obama, just another talking head telling lies on teleprompters. If you don't believe the spirit, then argue with this logic. Why did Reagan and Obama both go after Gaddafi? We invade the sovereign soil, going after oil. Taking country to the hobby, paid for by the oil lobby. Same as in Iraq. Afghanistan, and I'm a dinner jar. Say they coming for Iran. They only love the rich and how they love the poor. If I say any more, they might be at my door. Who the fuck is that? Staring in my window, doing that surveillance on Mr. Michael Rinder. I'm dropping off the grid before they pump the lid. I leave you with four words. I'm glad Reagan did. So that's mostly it. Um, I mean, there was. <laughs> In, in another kind of just shitty, like, carrying on of the Sorkin sexism thing, Zoe in the first episode that we forgot to mention when all the family gets back together, Zoe's back in the White House, and the only interactions with the staff she has is basically, like, Josh and Toby telling her she's looking fine. <laughs> nice. It's, nice, guys. It's like, just just low-key creeping on, on Zoe, 
walking around and then just kind of like there's also a thing the very first scene is toby just checking out cj's ass while she's trying to oh yeah uh, stand up her christmas tree (laughs) yeah and then also it also later on he's in her office and she starts to change for a ball or something and she doesn't notice he's there and he doesn't say anything or or try or try to leave or avert his eyes or anything like that and in in the correct i guess in like the correct context when if you're working with the correct characters those types of interactions are charming acceptable to yeah. a, to a degree but it's just very weird to be like hey, they, check out these lechers in the west wing yeah uh-huh. they, they don't have the sorkin could actually i mean we gave sorkin a lot of shit for his sexism and he he deservedly so but sorkin could pull off these interactions that are like sort of where they have that flirty energy but it's more equal between the sides and it's not as you know lecherous yeah and we do get i mean also the the guest star that we missed is mallory is back in the second episode as well but she doesn't fucking get to do anything almost anything no and rob lowe's gone now so they they don't have anyone to play off of her um, because, yeah. you know, their whole little courtship slash potential teased romance is now gone because he's gone. Yep. So, so yeah. yeah, what These a waste. Were, uh, low what a quality, waste of Mallory. Low quality episodes. Yeah, bad episodes. Not great. Don't watch. Uh, and like Don't I said, we, we will be going through two at a time uh, until we decide to stop uh, if, the, if the quality ever <laughs> improves uh, from here on out. <laughs> so thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, we always appreciate your comments, your feedback, and uh, our threads. And if you found the show a different way, hello, welcome. Uh, and you can always email the show at theworstwing69 at gmail.com. Nice. Nice. And we will see you next time for another episode where we discuss two episodes of The West Wing here on The Worst Wing. Bye-bye. Bye. you ask for, but don't ask me to come on along.